The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you're with us. If, uh, if this is your first Sunday or your 101st or you've been here from the very beginning, we are uh, very thankful that, that uh, you would join us this morning as we come uh, to God's Word. And we're continuing this morning in our summer series in the book of Psalms. And so we're going to be taking up Psalm 147. Psalm 147. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 147. Uh, we're also going to project the, the psalm uh, in just a moment. But uh, we are coming near to a close in our summer of psalms. Uh, don't worry, there are many psalms left, and so I'm sure we'll be returning to them again. Um, but, but we have this week, next week, we'll take a week um, to do kind of a one-off. And then in the fall, for those of you who like to plan, and I know... Um, some of you are those people. Uh, we will be uh, taking up the kingdom parables in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' kingdom parables. So if you're interested, you can start reading those uh, now. But we'll be taking that up uh, come September for the remainder of the fall. But this morning we look at Psalm 147, and this is a hymn. This is a, a song. It was to be sung by God's people. And many commentators, many um, psalm scholars believe that this psalm was written in and for the post-exilic community of Israel. So you remember the history of Israel. Israel, God had uh, set apart from all the nations. He had called them to be his special people. He uh, gave them to be his people a land a land that would be their own. And from that land, they would spread blessing and, and God's grace and his kindness and mercy into all the world. But, but in the midst of this, as they were supposed to be faithful in the land, Israel proved to be faithless. They turned away from the Lord and they rebelled against him. And because of their sin, God brought foreign powers upon them and took them into exile into foreign lands. But even as they resided in these foreign lands, God's grace prevailed because God returned them. He brought them back from exile. And we believe that, many believe that this psalm is written to those who were returning, who had come back. Now that's the history behind the psalm. Structurally, the psalm is interesting because it's set off by three different stanzas. There's three stanzas in our psalm that are all set off by a call to praise. So if you have your Bibles open, you see in verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. That's the first stanza. The second stanza comes in verse 7, Sing to the Lord. And the third, verse 12, Praise the Lord. And so we have these three different stanzas that are appearing in the structure of the psalm. And so this morning, the homiletical outline, or the preaching outline, uh, what's in your bulletins, is going to match the exegetical outline. It doesn't always work this way. They always don't uh, seamlessly work in this way, but, but this morning they do. And as we look at each stanza, we see why this post-exilic community and why we are called to praise the Lord. And so we'll read the first stanza now. We will read all of them as the sermon goes on, but for now we'll just read verses 1 through 6. And this is what the psalmist writes. 
Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And as we come to it now, we ask that you would lead us and teach us, that you would meet with us by your spirit and open our eyes and soften our hearts so that today in all of our days, we would sing praise to you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. So I know some of you uh, share with me a great affinity for the band, the Avid Brothers. The Avid Brothers is a band, uh, it's created by, well, the Avid Brothers. <laughs> uh, Scott and Seth Avid are two brothers, and, and they, uh, they are joined with a couple other musicians in making wonderful music. It's Americana, it's uh, kind of folk, rock sort of music. It's very beautiful. And there's this one song in particular that I like. It might be my favorite of their songs. It's called February 7. And if you were to go and listen to this song and you were to pay very close attention to the lyrics, it would become clear, it would become crystal clear that Seth Avid, excuse me, Scott Avid, the writer of this song, is, is talking about an event that has taken place in his life. An event that, that he has brought upon himself and the consequences of that event. In fact, it's an event that occurred on February 7th. He said in an interview as much. Now, he didn't go into all the details of what this event was, but it's clear from the lyrics that, that this one of the brothers was experiencing the consequences of his own sin, of his own choices. And so he writes this. I was on the mend when I fell through. <clears throat> Excuse me. The sky around was anything but blue. I found as I regained my feet a wound across my memory that no amount of stitches would repair. I went on the search for something real, traded what I know for how I feel. But the ceiling and the walls collapsed upon the darkness. I was trapped. So you hear what he's saying, right? The, the sky was anything but blue. That he had wounds that stitches couldn't repair. That the ceiling, the walls, they had collapsed and he was now trapped in darkness. A metaphor we can resonate with, can't we? I mean, maybe not this morning, maybe not right here as you're sitting there, but we have all at some point in our lives, maybe in the past or we will in the future, we have experienced that metaphorical darkness, haven't we? It has felt as though the walls and the ceiling have collapsed. It has felt as though we look out and though the sun is shine, shining, that the sky is anything but blue. We can resonate with this because maybe our own sin is pressing upon us, and the shadows of our sin extend into all the aspects of our lives. We know the wounds that we've inflicted and have been inflicted upon us. Maybe a word that tears or cuts, and it's so deep that stitches cannot repair. I mean, we know what the Avid brothers are singing of. 
And so too did Israel. Remember, this is to a post-exilic community, and so they're returning. They were in exile. They, they were there away from their land, and though they have returned, that, that exile would have still been fresh in their minds. It would have been something that they would have known of, but, but it's even more than that. Look at the language that the psalmist uses to describe Israel. He says in verse 2 that they're outcasts. Verse 3, broken-hearted, those who have been wounded. This is God's people. People who are broken-hearted by pain, who know the wounds of sin, who have become outcasts because of rebellion. And it is to these people, what does the psalmist say? Praise the Lord. Now let's just think about that for a moment. Because I imagine that for most of us, in the midst of sadness and pain and struggle, the call to praise is is going to feel like blindly ignoring our pain. It might feel more like cold water being dumped on us than a warm embrace. And yet the psalmist says, praise the Lord. How, How can he do this? Well, the psalmist isn't ignoring the pain. He's not ignoring He's not blind to the fact that they are returning from exile. No, the psalmist is showing us why the outcast and why the brokenhearted and why the wounded can praise. And why can they praise? Because God is the one who sustains them. Look closer at verses 2 and 3. The psalmist tells us not only who the people are, but he actually goes beyond that and tells us what God has done for them. He says, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Do you hear that? The Lord gathers and heals and binds up. This is what God does for his people. This is how he sustains them. And what makes this even more amazing is what God says, what the psalmist says in verses 4 and 5 about God. That he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Think about that. The God who sustains is the God who knows the names of the stars. Do you all know how many stars there are in our galaxy? I had to look it up. Like that, that's not just information I have off the top of my head. But, but uh, some, some speculate that there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And then I found other astronomers and scientists who think that that's actually too conservative. That it's probably four times that number. So think about that. 400 billion stars in our galaxy. Like I can't even, like they might as well just make a number up as far as I'm concerned, right? Like, like that number is so immense, I can't imagine it. And we don't even have to imagine 400 billion. Just go out and look at the night sky tonight, right? Go out and try to count them. Try to count them and you'll lose count after 20 or 30, right? And you'll start wondering like, is that a star or a plane or a planet, right? Like, I'm not, so uh, I better start again. One, two, right? That's, we're going to lose count. But, but yet God knows every one of them. He hung them in the sky. And he knows them by name. He's not confused when he looks upon the stars. He doesn't wonder, is that Pluto? No, that's part of Orion's belt. He knows them and he names them. 
that is what is amazing about our God who sustains us, that he names the stars and has abundant power and understanding beyond our measure. Now, when we think about this is who this God is, we might start to wonder, like, this God who's attentive to the stars of the sky, is he really attentive to me? Is he really attentive to what must seem to him like relatively minor wounds and broken hearts? I imagine that some of you may be feeling that this morning. Some of you may be thinking that today. Who am I that God would look upon my heartache? Who am I that God would care about my wounds? I mean, this God of abundant power who names the stars, surely there are far more important people and far more important things for him to give his attention to. Maybe you're feeling that this morning. But friends, you need to know that this God whose understanding is beyond measure, he understands your heartache. He knows your wounds. He sees the outcasts. He sees me and he sees you and he gathers us in. It's not the great and the mighty that God is giving his attention to. It is the humble that he lifts up. That's what the psalm says in verse 6. It is the humble that the Lord lifts up. These are the people that God is bringing into his people, that he is gathering into his kingdom, the outcast and the brokenhearted and the wounded. I mean, do you remember what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5 when he gives his beatitudes, right? The blessings, all these people who are blessed. Who are the people that are blessed? The poor in spirit. Those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful, the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is not the strong and the powerful and those who can look to themselves, but instead it is the poor in spirit and those who mourn and those who are weak and meek. Those are the people who are blessed. And they are those who are blessed because those are the ones for whom Christ has died. He gave his life to gather and to heal and to bind and to lift up the brokenhearted so that the wounded and the weak would know his strength. See, that is the amazing thing about God's sustaining grace. His sustaining grace, the light of it, breaks through our heartache and comforts us in our loneliness and heals our wounds. Y'all, that's why we can praise him. Even in the midst of heartache, we can praise him because God sustains his people. But we can also praise him because God cares. That's what we see in the second stanza, verses 7 through 11. The psalmist says, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares the rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. 
God cares. And where does his care fall? Well, it begins with creation. That's what verses 8 and 9 said, right? He brings forth rain and makes the grass grow. He gives animals of the earth and birds of the sky their food. God cares for his world. Now, as soon as I read these verses, my mind went to the book of Jonah. And that might seem odd at first, why my mind would go to the book of Jonah. Y'all remember the story of Jonah. Maybe some of you learned about it in Sunday school with flannel graphs, right? Maybe you're, yeah, you can remember flannel. Kids' flannel graphs are these weird things. They would like stick pictures. Is like pre, anyway, you can ask your parents about them. But, but uh, maybe you learned about on flannel graphs or iPads or whatever. But, but the story of Jonah, what's the story of Jonah. God calls Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim God's mercy and kindness to these people, right? But Jonah doesn't want to go, and so he runs the other way, and he's swallowed by a fish, and in the belly of the fish, he cries out to God, and he repents, and he vomits him onto the land, right? That's what the language, he pukes him onto the land, right? And so Jonah, now he goes to Nineveh, and he proclaims forgiveness and grace. And what happens to the people of Nineveh? They repent and they believe. It's amazing. It's this wonderful story. But that's not how the story ends. Because if you know the story of Jonah, you know the very end of chapter 4, verse 11, which is the last verse of Jonah. And there Jonah, instead of celebrating and rejoicing that Nineveh had repented and come to know the Lord, he's pouting. And he's sulking. And so what does God say? Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? You hear what he's saying? Should I not pity this city because of the people? How are you pouting? How are you sulking, Jonah? I show grace and mercy to them. But then God goes on. The last words that God speaks to Jonah is actually not about the 120,000 persons. The last words he speaks is, and also much cattle. I love that. The very last words that God speaks to Jonah is his care for the cattle of Nineveh. God cares for the cattle. And he cares for the land, and he cares for the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. That's what this psalm is declaring. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares the rain for the earth. He makes the grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food, and to the young ravens that cry. God cares for his world, and he cares for his people. That's what we see with verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those whose hope is in his steadfast love. Now, verse 11 is contrasted with verse 10. So in verse 10, God declares what he doesn't take pleasure in. His pleasure isn't in the strength of horses or the legs of men. Now, that language of strength of horse, don't be thinking about the plow horse here. The the plow horse is strong. No, instead, we should have in our minds the the war horse. That's what this language is getting at. It's, It's the war horse, and so we should have this image of battle and war and armies. The war horse and the legs of men that are swift in battle. That's not where God's pleasure falls. It's not upon his people because they have superior strength. No, God takes pleasure and cares for those who what? 
fear him. In those whose hope is in his steadfast love. You see, God cares for those who are in awe and reverence of God. Who revere in awe because of his power and his holiness and his justice. His care is for those who hope in his mercy and kindness and steadfast love. God does not take pleasure in those who revere the powers of this world, but those who revere him. He cares not for those who hope in man's strength, but, but hope in his mercy. God cares for his people. He cares and sustains. That is why we can praise him. That is why we're called to praise him. But finally, because also God is the one who is faithful. That's what we see in our final stanza, verses 12 through 20. It says, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. So God is faithful and what these verses are declaring is that he is faithful to his covenant promises. That's what these verses are invoking. God's promise to bless his people and to bring blessing to the world. We see these two aspects of his blessing in verses 19 and 20. First, we see it to his people. That God has set them apart. He has declared his word to Jacob. That he deals with them not as he does the nations. That is the blessing that comes to his people. But then we see in verse 15, his blessing coming to the world. His word goes forth. His commands go out to the earth. And so we have these two aspects of his blessing. His blessing to his people and his blessing to the world. And this is a part of his covenant promises. Because you remember he promised way back in Genesis 12 to Abraham. When he called him, he said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation, right? And there you're going to have many sons and kings of nations are going to come from you and they're going to outnumber the stars of the sky and the sand and the seashore. And what did he say? I am going to bless you in order that you would be a blessing. That was the promise that God made to Abraham. That God's people would be a beachhead from which his kingdom would spread into the earth. That was the promise he made in the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. It is what Psalm 147 is invoking. And it is what Jesus declares in Matthew 28 when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. That was the commission that Jesus gave to his people, which is just an extension of that promise of covenant faithfulness. And that is what we see being worked out throughout the New Testament. That the gospel of grace, of God's kingdom, is extending beyond Israel into the nations. 
And so, friends, if you are a follower of Christ here this morning, you are a recipient of that covenant faithfulness. You are a recipient of that blessing going out from Israel into all the earth. And we are not just recipients of that covenant faithfulness. We are to be participants of that faithfulness as well. We, we are supposed to be those who now, who have received God's blessing, take that blessing to our neighbors and into our city and to our nation and to the world. That is the extension to which this blessing that has been given to us should overflow and extend to. That is what God is calling us to. That he has not saved us so that we would take our salvation and we would just hold on to it for ourselves. But we would declare that salvation to others. So that God's covenant faithfulness, the promise of his blessing, it would continue. His covenant faithfulness, that endures. Friends, that is the God who is faithful. Now I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about who it was who first heard this promise of covenant faithfulness. Remember, it was people who were returning from exile. And so I want you to put yourself in their shoes as you hear these words from Psalm 147, verses 12 through 14. These people who have just returned from exile, they hear, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. Now, if you had just returned from exile, and you are standing in the midst of Jerusalem, it would not have looked like there were mighty gates or peace. What you would have seen is ruin. You would have seen Jerusalem laid to waste and in need of rebuilding. It actually reminds me of a painting in my office. Some of you have seen it. Uh, others have heard me talk about it. It's, a, it's actually a print. It's not the original. That, that would be pretty amazing. Um, but it was destroyed in World War II, so no one has the original. But regardless, it's, it's a painting by Caspar David Friedrich. And it's called Monastery Graveyard in Snow. It's a beautiful painting. Some of you have admired it. I've seen you and you have heard me speak of it before. But it's a painting of an old monastery that's in ruins. Only bits of the walls remain. And it's surrounded by a forest. And it's in the middle of winter and so none of the trees have leaves. And some of the trees look as though they are dead. And there are other trees that have grown up where the monastery used to stand. And snow covers the grass. It's actually very cold. And if you only look at the rubble, it would appear as though ruin has ruled and that the church is diminished. And surely that's what Israel, looking upon the ruin of Jerusalem, surely it may have seemed to them as though God's blessing of his people and extending that blessing into the world, surely it would have seemed to them that that was impossible because all they saw was ruin. But you know, if you look closely at that painting and you look beyond just the broken down walls, you see monks walking through the snow, entering the ruin to go about their morning prayer. 
And they return to this broken down monastery. They return to this ruin, not because their hope is in a building or in walls. They return because their hope is in the faithfulness of God. That even in the midst of ruin, they come and they give him prayer and praise because of his faithfulness. A faithfulness that continues even beyond the ruin. And friends, that is why Israel was called to praise him. That even though they may look around and they may feel heartbroken, and they may feel as though they are outcasts and they may experience their own wounds, they can praise God because of his faithfulness, and that's why we can too. Because though it may seem like we are in the midst of personal or, or corporate ruin, God's faithfulness endures. His word goes forth. His blessing will go to the nations. And it is because of that faithfulness and because of his care and because of his sustaining of his people that we join our voices with the psalm and we praise him. And so let us do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and give you praise and glory because you have not left us as outcasts, but you have brought us in. You have not left us wounded, but you have brought healing. You have not left us brokenhearted, but you have bound us up. And you have done it by the work of your Son, our Lord Jesus. And so we pray that today, whether we are in the midst of sadness and ruin, or whether we are filled with celebration and glory, that we would praise you. Because your faithfulness continues. It is forever and it endures. And so fill our mouths with praise, fill our hearts with joy, and allow us to sing and make much of you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray, and God's people said together, Amen.